Hello, thank you guys so much for clicking this video today. I really appreciate it. This is the Cardano Aura podcast. I bring people on in the Cardano community that provide value to the Cardano community. And today we have Lars Brunjes today, and it was a great podcast. I learned a lot about what he's been working on. I also asked him, you know, some Cardano based questions as well. You know, why is Plutus beneficial to Cardano? You know, why are smart contracts more reliable? on Cardano. Uh, we go into all of that information today. So if you want to be more educated on all things Cardano, make sure you stay till the end of this podcast. And if you do enjoy it, I would really appreciate it. If you like this video, comment it down below, subscribe, hit the notification bell and hit all. It really does support the algo. I hate having to deal with it all the time, but your guys' support really does help out my channel uh, and really does show this video to the wider cryptocurrency community. Uh, if you also want to support my channel, uh, you can delegate to Bloom. We have Bloom through Bloom 6. We actually minted the eighth block on Cardano. We've been here from the beginning. We pay out Bloom tokens. We pay out ADA. And we're also going to be paying out Sunday tokens for Vive Epochs after the launch of the DEX. But I hope you guys enjoy this video. Today, I'm with the Director of Education at IOG. And he is also the CTO at Genius Yield. And that's Cardano's first concentrated DEX. And it's actually combined with an AI-powered liquidity management protocol. And um, I'm really excited to introduce Lars Brunjes with, with me today. How are you doing today? I'm great. Thank you very much. How are you? Thanks for having me. I'm, uh, I'm honestly really excited. Uh, I'm doing great. I'm very excited to learn more from you. You know, as we were talking before we went live, you know, uh, D DeFi and, you know, DEXs and AMMs and yield optimizers, it's all new to me. And, you know, in this podcast, we're going to lay that all out for viewers of all knowledge levels. So if you guys are looking for that, make sure you guys stay till the end of this podcast. So, um, you know, the first thing I wanted to ask you is, you know, how did you get introduced to Cardano and, you know, become the director of education at IOG and then, you know, following uh, the CTO of Genius Yield? Well, um, I mean, by training, I'm a mathematician. So I spent the beginning of my career in academia at university. And then at some point I am. Um, changed into industry, so I joined a normal software company. But I've always been interested in like more exotic programming languages. So that has always been my hobby since since my teens, basically. So I was always pursuing that as a hobby. And then at this uh, software company that was just mainstream C Sharp and JavaScript. And um, I mean, over the years, it got pretty boring. So I was started to look for jobs where I can to Haskell, because that was by then my favorite programming language, the functional language Haskell. And it so happened that um, IOHK back then um, was looking for Haskell developers. So I applied and they took me. So then I started um, with IOHK in 2016, I believe uh, November 2016. Uh, so it's been a bit more than five years now. So originally I started as a Haskell developer and that was also my main interest in it. So I didn't come from the crypto angle so much. I mean, I had heard about Bitcoin, of course, and thought it was very cool and interesting. But my main aspiration was to to basically do full-time Haskell. So I did that for a couple of months. And um, the one thing I was still uh, mostly missing from academia actually was the teaching, because I've always loved teaching. And then there was um, the idea to, to do a Haskell course in Athens for a bunch of students. And IOHK was looking for volunteers, and then I 
basically volunteered to, to do that and it was a great success so ended up hiring most of the students and so after that then Charles Hoskinson asked me whether I'd like to um, this role of director of education and uh, so I gladly accepted and since then I've I've done lots of courses all over the world these long two-month intense Haskell courses and um, now last year um, I started also with these Pluto's pioneer programs so Cardano got its uh, smart contract capability last year and the Cardano smart contract language is called Plutus, which is more or less a version of Haskell so heavily relies on Haskell so I started doing these Plutus pioneer courses and taught thousands of developers all over the world so it's virtual courses and um, yeah so that, that's um, <clears throat> how I got to Cardano or IOHK and I'm also still doing like programming so so when Charles asked me to do this education director I uh, told him that I would still like to also do like real work because I always feel I mean if you want to teach something you should actually know what you're talking about so I like to like keep my hands dirty and do some programming and I'm also involved in some research projects at IOHK for example the reward scheme like the um, how that works and the incentives and so on I was involved in that so that's the IOHK part and then um, in last summer was approached by the founder of Genius Yield and uh, found the idea very interesting to to use Plutus to build a DEX and um, then a yield optimizer on Cardano and I thought that would be perfect like um, complementary to to the, the more theoretical things I do with IHK like I mean the teaching to actually take that uh, Plutus knowledge and and apply it to to a real world project so that's why I accepted that. So now I'm also, as you mentioned, CTO at Genius Yield and trying to build um, a great DEX using Plutus on Cardano. That's an awesome story. And, you know, I know exactly where you're coming from as far as, you know, kind of getting your hands dirty doing programming to be able to educate. You know, uh, I really enjoy educating people too. And, you know, I felt, uh, you know, being a part of the incentivized test net and, you know, the friends and family test net. And, you know, as I'm actually the one that, you know, build our pools and that's really taught me a lot about the protocol and interacting with, with the protocol. And it's allowed me to, you know, educate people, you know, I think more efficiently. So I really uh, agree right. with where you're coming from there. So what is, you know, honestly, let's start, let's start from step one and then we'll lead into genius yield. What is, you know, decentralized finance? What is the main difference from, you know, for someone that has never heard of decentralized finance or they've heard of, you know, the jargon, uh, you know, what is it? I mean, traditional finance is, is centralized in, in the sense that there's always some central entity that you have to rely on, on that controls everything, like a stock exchange, for example, or a bank. So whenever you, I mean, if you want to trade assets in traditional finance, you, you need to use a stock exchange or or bank and um, same is actually true for crypto I mean like I mean crypto exchanges like Binance or Bittrex or, or Coinbase or whatever I mean they are also centralized entities so even though it's crypto and crypto is all about decentralization um, I mean for traditional crypto exchanges I mean they are still centralized in a similar sense as traditional finance and centralized so the idea of decentralized finance of DeFi is to basically get rid of this middleman so that users can interact and trade into financial transactions um, similar to what you would be used to from stock exchanges but by taking the stock exchange out of the equation 
So that is then replaced by smart contracts. So everything is, I mean, decentralized in the sense there's no central authority. Everybody can participate and people can trade freely without the need for, for such a pinching point like a bank. Yeah, that's awesome. You know, I really look forward to DeFi on Cardano. And, you know, one of the main benefits that I look forward to is participating in these, you know, traditional, you know, centralized financial services in a decentralized way, you know, without custody. And, you know, that allows users to, you know, have control over their funds, but still participate, uh, you know, in some of these financial offerings. Um, my next question for you is, what is an AMM, you know, an automated market maker? Well, the... I mean, I, I should say that I'm also no finance expert. I mean, as I said, I come from mathematics, computer science more than finance. So this is all relatively new to me as well. But I mean, automated market, may, I mean, I think the first one was Uniswap on Ethereum. The idea is that you basically have these liquidity. I mean, in order to do trades, it's not enough to have people that want to do trades. You also need so-called liquidity. So somebody that puts a lot of assets or uh, makes them available to facilitate these uh, to facilitate these these trades and um, then of course you have the question of price discovery i mean at what exchange rate basically can people do swaps from one token to another and um, these automated market makers i mean the, the idea is that automatically some of the the price is discovered and um Uniswap, I, I think it's a it's a beautiful and a simple idea. They use this so-called pro, uh, constant product formula. So somebody sets up a liquidity pool in, in Uniswap version two, um, which is just basically a smart contract where it puts two tokens A and B in. And the idea of this automatic price discovery is then that uh, the the product of the amount should be constant. So for example, if he puts a thousand A's and a thousand B's in, in the product, a thousand times a thousand is one million. And now the idea is you would simply keep this constant. So if somebody um, takes a hundred A out, then it would only be, uh, I can't do that in my head. So let's say it takes 500 out. Um, so then this one amount drops to 500. So the product is now only 500 times a thousand, 500,000. So to bring it back to a million, he would need to put a thousand of the other token in make that 2000 because then you have again 500 times 2000 is 1 million as before so you take out something and you must put in on the other side and how much you must put in is determined by this constant product formula that has this nice effect that it behaves like one would expect it to behave so more you the one token is in demand basically the more you must put in of the other token so so this effect that uh, supply and demand determine the price that's nicely reflected by this formula so the the rarer the one token gets the the more expensive it basically gets the more you have to put in the other side so that was the this first uh, quite elegant idea that, that uniswap i think uh, invented or, or at least uniswap were, were the first that were very successful with it and uh, so that's like the grandfather of automated market makers Awesome. idea that, that nobody has to like explicitly set the price it's just determined by some mathematics okay yeah that that actually does make sense to me so you know in in uniswap you have the two liquidity pools that allows people you know to trade two tokens back and forth and mm -hmm. you know 
that really is the the AMM. You know, it's the ability for the price to be determined relative to those two liquidity pools moving up and down based on you know supply of both assets and, and the demand. Interesting. Exactly. I appreciate that. You know, to take that a step further, what what is a yield optimizer? That I mean, basically, you have like two types of participants. I mean, obviously, one can be both, but I mean, you have the, like the market takers and the market makers. So the ones are like average or normal users that uh, just want to swap tokens. So they just want to use this ability of the uh, of the DEX of the decentralized exchange. Uh, just use it to to change one token for another, and then on the other side you have these liquidity providers, the market makers, um, that are not interested so much in swapping. They are interested in um, making money by other people swapping. So they provide their liquidity, they provide the tokens, them in these liquidity pools, so that users can use them. But for that they get a fee. So their angle is basically it's like an investment. They want to to earn yield, so-called yield. And um, but of course they have choices. I mean, they for example, which two tokens do they provide? Um, in which ratio do they provide them? So at what price should they provide them? Um, so so they they have lots of options um, how to place the liquidity. So somebody has a lot of um, liquidity available and wants to do this, wants to provide liquidity to a dex uh, to to earn some return. But the question of course is um, how? I mean. What tokens do I buy? What tokens do I put in which pools and so on? And that's where auto yield optimization comes in. So you try to optimize the yield. How do you place your assets uh, optimally so, so that you get uh, the highest amount of fees? And uh, well, that's basically yield optimization. And if you, of course, you could do that by hand, but if you don't do it by hand, if you use algorithms like artificial intelligence to, to advise you how to do it or to automatically do it, uh, then we get an automatic yield optimizer. So the idea is basically, it's it's like a, I mean, it's, it's similar to, to a fund uh, at a bank where somebody wants to invest and he doesn't want to care about the details, which stocks to buy exactly. So he just gives a bunch of money to his bank and and uh, then the bank manages that for him and, and like buy stocks, sell stocks and so on. That's similar. I mean, in that sense, a bank is like a traditional yield optimizer. They try to like an investment fund so they try to optimize the yield for you and this now if you take that to to a dex um, somehow automatically determine a nice uh, good or uh, promising strategy for for investors to how to place the liquidity and then move it around if prices change if demand changes and so on awesome so does that you know do, do they often optimize for risk as well or is it really just for profit uh, I mean, as I said, I'm not a finance expert, but my understanding is that, I mean, also in traditional investment funds, you always can, if you do that, you can always like specify the risk level you're comfortable with. So you can say, okay, I want like more conservative, I mean, low risk, or I'm willing to, to accept high risk if I get high returns. And that will be similar with us as well. So we will probably have different strategies with different risk levels associated, and you can basically pick what you're comfortable with. Okay, awesome. So now that we've got you know those two things out of the way, what is Genius Yield? Genius Yield um, is a startup that wants to build a yield optimizer eventually on Cardano. We start with a DEX because obviously in order to, to optimize yield, there must be yield in the first place. So if we first want to uh, need a DEX and then 
on top of that, we will build this yield optimizer that can then optimize the yield. Of course, it's, uh, I mean, it wouldn't necessarily need to be our own decks. We could also optimize yield on other people's decks, and we also plan to do that. So we want to partner with other decks, because obviously that's a win-win for both parties. I mean, if, I mean, if we partner with the decks, then we draw like activity to their decks, so the more traffic for them. But also for us, it's good, obviously, because um, I mean, then there are more options for the yield optimizer to choose from. So the more DEXs and opportunities there are, the better, obviously, for investors. Uh, so, the, but nevertheless, we didn't want to rely completely rely on other DEXs. So we want to start with our own and and then later extend the yield optimizer also to work with other DEXs as well. But start with our own. Awesome. Um, you know, it may be too soon, but are there any other DEXs that you guys are interested in working with? I'm always very bad with names. I mean, obviously there's Sunday Swap. They, I think they want to launch tomorrow. They're yep, excited for that one. <laughs> so I don't know whether they want to work with us, but I, I mean, we have talked to a couple of, of other uh, DEXs already, but um, I'm not too, I'm a bit hazy on the details because I always, I try to like focus on writing the smart contracts and That's fair. Uh, leave, leave the, 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 these business arrangements to, to my colleagues. Yeah, that's very fair. And I, I'm, I, I apologize for continually asking business-oriented questions. I'm just trying to come from a, a viewer perspective and kind of get the viewer interest out of the way. Uh, and then we'll get to the, uh, the more technical topics. But I, I really appreciate your response. And I also like that you guys, you know, aren't focusing on only, you know, you know, looking to provide better yield on your own decks, but also, you know, branching out to the wider community and, you know, thinking about, you know, using other decks as well. That's, that's very exciting. So what benefits are there to, you know, building, you know, a DEX and then, you know, also, you know, a yield optimizer on Cardano, you know, in Plutus versus, you know, building it on other chains, you know, specifically Ethereum with Solidity? Um, I mean, Cardano, I mean, one of the things is that Cardano, because it's proof of stake, is, is orders of magnitudes cheaper to operate, which also reflects itself uh, or the one of the effects is that the transaction fees are much lower and those are really a, a big obstacle to to do something similar on on ethereum so our um, genius yield artificial intelligence expert marvin he has actually tried to jo joining genius yield also tried to do something similar on ethereum and he says i mean often i mean in order to do to optimize this yield you you must move funds around fast. I mean, you, you have to quickly adjust if, if there are price movements, then you have to re reallocate funds from like one pool to another with a different price range and so on. And on Ethereum, that's really um, basically prohibitively expensive. So all the, the yield you could gain by, by shifting your liquidity is basically eaten up by, by the gas cost you have to pay to actually do this. So it's much easier to, to optimize yield and to, to quickly react to changes in the market on Cardano, where, where this is cheaper. So that's the one aspect, the, the lower fees. And then, of course, um, Cardano has a different model, the so-called EUTXO model, in contrast to the account-based model that Ethereum uses. So the, the whole blockchain works differently. So in that regard, Cardano is much more similar to Bitcoin than to Ethereum. And that has uh, implications, for example, for security, that it's easier on Cardano to, to analyze the smart contract and to prove correctness. So, I mean, there are these infamous hacks on, on Ethereum, like the DAO hack, for example, and things like that are, are 
simply not possible on Cardano, or at least uh, much more unlikely, because it's it's much easier on Cardano to 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 look at a contract and then really prove that it will not do certain things or will do certain other things. So in, the pic in particular in finance or DeFi, where it's sometimes it's about millions or billions of dollars. Um, of course, that's important that you can have high assurance that your contracts will actually do what you what you hope they will do. That's another thing. And I also believe that um, due to this EU takes O model, there are some unique things you can do on like uh, regard to concurrency, for example, that are simply not possible on, on Ethereum. I mean, it's also challenging because you can't just take the proven like Uniswap contract and just one-to-one -one translate it to Cardano. You have to really solve the problems differently. If you just do it like that, then you would have massive problems with concurrency, for example. Yeah. Um, but I think that is also a I mean, big opportunity to, to come up mm. with, with solutions that are well suited to the model that Cardano uses and then make make full use of that and, and embrace them, these this other model. So that's the third thing, I believe. Makes it a, a good idea to, to build something like that on Cardano. I really think that that's a, a huge perk that you can't just, you know, copy and paste, you know, Uniswap and bring it over here because what it's requiring, you know, developers and, you know, people that are building protocols to do is, as you said, you know, learn about UTXO and learn, you know, how, how should we build this? You know, and I think that's like, although it's, you know, a bit negative in turn, you know, we don't have a DEX and we didn't have a DEX the same day Alonzo released. I think it's beneficial long term because it's really making people think about, you know, how to build a DEX and not, you know, going with the, the move fast and, and, and break things. Uh, you know, you stated something in there specifically that, you know, because uh, of the hacks on Ethereum, uh, that it just makes sense, you know, because, it, you know, this is you know, oftentimes a financial instrument that there is so much importance in security and making sure people don't lose their funds. And you stated that Cardano has a benefit, you know, to, to essentially lower that risk. Um, can you expand on that a little further? How, how does Cardano lower the risk, you know, either with Plutus or, you know, UTXO of people losing, you know, their funds in these smart contracts? I mean, the I mean, Ethereum is extremely powerful, but part of the power comes from the fact, I'm, I mean, on Ethereum, everything is a smart contract and they can all talk to each other. Um, so basically in order to, I mean, a, a given smart contract on Ethereum can in principle uh, call an arbitrary other contract on Ethereum while it's executing. But that also means in order to understand what can possibly happen with an Ethereum contract, in principle, you must like take the whole Ethereum blockchain into account. I mean, you, you basically need like the global view and must understand everything that's possible on Ethereum in order to to completely understand uh, what can potentially happen or what people can do. And um, so it, it's it's really powerful, but also like a bit scary and it's extremely difficult to, to prove or to think of all possible attacks or hacks. Cardano has this EUTXO model and that is works completely differently and um, principle all that this smart contract Plutus smart contract on Cardano sees is the transaction that's just being validated so everything is transactions and the transaction can try to consume so-called script outputs that are locked by Plutus smart contracts and then the so-called validators are run that are defined by these smart contracts but the the information the, that these um, scripts see is just the transaction that's currently being validated. 
So in order to, to analyze or to understand what can possibly happen, all you, all you have to think about is this one transaction. So the rest of Cardano doesn't matter. It doesn't matter other people concurrently at the same time do what other contracts are out there. Uh, in order to fully understand what's going to happen, you only need to understand this one transaction, which of course makes it much more feasible to actually mathematically prove it or to, it, or to convince yourself or your clients that, that nothing bad will happen. That also has like more practical implications. For example, one one very, from, I mean, I found when I played with Ethereum, annoying thing is that on Ethereum, it can happen, you, you send a transaction to Ethereum and then it fails, so the smart contract fails and you end up having to pay gas fees, but even though basically you didn't get the outcome you were hoping for. And on Cardano, that's different because of this local nature that you only need to look at your own transaction. You know exactly what will happen or before you ever submit the transaction to the blockchain. So you already know it will validate. It can still happen when you then end up sending it to the blockchain that somebody else in the meantime has consumed one of the inputs you were expecting. So in that case, the transaction will not happen. But in contrast to Ethereum, you also won't end up having to pay fees for it. So it can still, I mean, you can't be sure that the transaction will actually end up in the block on the blockchain. But if it doesn't, uh, you at least don't have to pay anything. But if it does, you know exactly what the effect will be, because that, that is only a local question that you could already decide before you ever send it. That's actually very nice. So you, you will never have this thing that you, you send something and then you have to, to pray that, um, that you won't end up having to pay high gas fees for something that then eventually fails. So that's, I, I think that's a very nice feature of, of Cardano. Yeah, it is. Thank you so much for explaining that all for me. Um, I really appreciate the, the education, you know, first approach. And I noticed that at Genius Yield, you guys are actually working on building an academy specifically for Genius Yield users. You know, what motivates the team towards that, that approach? Because one of the, I mean, we, we all, also want to address the beginners, newcomers to the crypto field to, to use our decks and, and the yield optimizer. And one of the biggest stumbling blocks for, for newcomers is that it's all very confusing and new and people don't really understand the risk or, or the technology. We feel it's just important that we offer people that are interested in using our services uh, to, to that they understand what they're doing and that they can learn about blockchain general crypto, but then of course also more specifically about DEXs and DeFi and, and Genius Yield. So, I mean, there are lots of people that are interested, but uh, a lot of people don't know very much yet about crypto. So we think it's very important to, to offer this opportunity for education. Yeah, I agree. It's, it's such a new space that, you know, I think it's honestly in the responsibility of many projects to take an education first approach to onboard new users. You know, especially uh, with how complicated some things can be. Um, are there any plans to, you know, build this protocol on any other, you know, blockchains, you know, any other extended UTXO blockchains? It's a good question. I mean, first we want to concentrate on Cardano and get it working on Cardano. But of course, in the like mid-term or long-term, if it's successful, or when it's successful, then in principle we could look at uh, blockchains like Ergo, for example, that have a sim very similar model. And there are no concrete plans, but, but um, of course, eventually it would be nice to, to even use some cross-chain functionality to maybe be able to optimize yields even on other blockchains as well. Awesome. We I appreciate it's that. not off the table, but yeah. 
not immediately, but in the future. Of course. So, um, you know, Genius Yield, they, they advertise powered by AI. How can AI be used to optimize these yields? Well, basically the idea is that you use AI to, I mean, look at historical data and um, like try, I mean, I mean, that's one another reason why we first have to build the decks in order to get data to, to see mm. how prices are moving and so on, uh, how users act and how they behave and what solves they do and so on. And then if you can use AI to, to I mean, sift through this data and uh, recognize patterns and um, come up with like predictions, whatever, if, if certain situations, I mean, if the data looks like this, then probably whatever the, this price will go up or this price will go down. So if you have this, I mean, you can use AI to, to understand the data and, and uh, model it and make predictions for the future. And then you can use that to, I mean, to, to guide or to, to make this yield optimization intelligent to, to in, in an intelligent way, uh, recommend to your users or then automatically place their funds um, at a different price range, for example. So, I mean, AI is good at, I mean, seeing patterns in data and, and making predictions. Awesome. But that's where AI comes in. So how does that AI actually connect to the protocol? You know, um, is it, you know, written in Plutus or is it written in another language that essentially just analyzes all of that data, you know, from a centralized approach? You know, how does the AI actually work with the blockchain? Right, that's certainly not written in Plutus. I mean, basically the AI is, is off-chain. I mean, it has a priori nothing to do with, uh, with the blockchain. I mean, the idea is basically, I mean, as you, Without the automatic yield optimizer, I mean, you don't necessarily have to use that, right? I mean, if you're yeah. a liquidity provider, you, you can place your liquidity and you can also then shift it around and reallocate re, 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 re it. Mm -hmm. And basically all the AI does is it does that automatically. So instead of you having to manually like type the commands into your UI, you basically give control to, to like a bot, if you will. And this bot uses AI techniques to then do these operations uh, instead of you having to do them manually it does them for you but uh, that also means it can <clears throat> i mean it has to of course talk to the blockchain i mean like give the commands to to place certain transactions but apart from that for example the programming language is completely um, irrelevant i mean i personally ob obviously a big haskell fan but i do believe that um, in ai python or so it's, it's more common. Yeah. So um, Marvin, our AI expert, can in principle choose whatever he likes. I mean, he must just be able to then interface with our web API or something to, to actually then give the commands to, to do these transactions. But the language itself is, doesn't matter in which it's written. I mean, the most suitable for the task, which maybe is Python in for AI. So I've really, you know, personally been struggling with this idea of off-chain and on-chain code, you know, whether that be for AI or it be for Plutus, you know, how, how, you know, how is having off-chain code, you know, how can you take a decentralized approach while still having off-chain code? Um, well, one, okay. I mean, first of all, maybe to, to clarify, so on-chain code, at least in our case, um, basically governs what transactions are possible or what they can do. I mean, the idea of Plutus is, um, I mean, before Plutus, an address on the blockchain was determined 
basically by a public key. And in order to, to get to funds on at that address, you had to unlock them by, by signing the transaction that wants to get to those funds with the corresponding secret key. So um, funds are locked basically by, by a cryptographic key. And in order to unlock them, you have to sign. So the owner yeah. of the key has to sign. And um, the idea of Plutus is to, to basically generalize that to, so that not only digital signatures can uh, unlock funds, that the logic basically can be completely arbitrary. So so instead of, of just saying, okay, this is public key, so the owner of the corresponding secret key has to sign, you can have arbitrary logic. And that this logic is formulated in the programming language Plutus. So, so now there is a script that can just look at the transaction that tries to spend the money sitting there the script is run and if the script says okay this transaction is allowed to spend me then so be it and if or it can say no and then the transaction will fail the, so this is about validation so plutus on the chain basically guards funds sitting at the script that it's guarding and then decides who or what transaction is allowed to unlock it that's what we call on-chain code in the sense that I mean, it's, it's executed by the nodes, by the Cardano nodes. Whenever a new transaction comes in that involves, uh, wants to spend some output sitting at the Plutus address, uh, this code will be executed uh, to tell the node whether it's okay, to, whether this transaction is valid or not. That's the on-chain code. Now, of course, um, you want to, I mean, if you want to spend something sitting at a Plutus address, then you must produce a transaction that will then successfully be validated by the nodes. And that, so somehow you have to construct suitable transactions. And this construction of this transaction, that's what I call or what we call off-chain code. So it's 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 something that's basically conceptually not even necessary. You wouldn't need off-chain code. You could just do it manually. I mean, there's a Cardano CLI, a command line interface to Cardano. And uh, shortly after the Alonso hard fork, um, when we wanted to try out Plutus, for example, I had this lobster contract to name Charles Hoskinson's lobster. Um, and we interacted with that just by basically with this command line interface. So we could perfectly well interact with Plutus contracts um, without off-chain code, just manually handcrafting suitable transactions that then um, cast a vote or whatever uh, with this lobster. Um, right, and basically off-chain code is just like uh, makes it easier. So it's just like instead of you having to manually construct your transactions, you allow a program to do that. But it's like conceptually, it's not really important. It's, it's just convenience to, to make it easier for you to, to create transactions, to, to query the blockchain and then uh, create transactions. And well, I mean, of course, you're right that probably at least in the beginning, this off-chain code, I mean, Genius Yield in our case would, would have a server and then the off-chain code that creates these transactions would run on our, I mean, on that server. So in that sense, it would be centralized. But the point is anybody else could also provide the off-chain code or, I mean, you could manually just using the Cardano CLI um, do a swap on our decks and completely bypass our off-chain code if you wanted, or somebody else, or you could also write a trading bot or, or your own off-chain code. So in that sense, it's mm. decentralized because it's not essential for the operation of the system. It's basically just a convenience, especially for people that don't want to handcraft transactions. They, they just want to swap A to B and they push a button and then we do, like we construct a transaction for them. But that's not a fundamental issue. I mean, if they wanted to, they could construct the transactions themselves and send them to the Cardano blockchain. In that sense, it's it's still decentral, even though maybe in practice, at least in the beginning, there won't be many people that uh, provide that off-chain code. That's how, how I mm. look at it. 
but now finally makes sense to me. I really appreciate that. You know, I, I really just did not understand this concept of off-chain code and how that really ties into on-chain code and really the, the nuances between those. So I, I really appreciate that. What is the benefit to the protocol of the gen token? Well, the idea is that um, it will, I mean, first, I, 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 there's a list, it's like six points and I'm sure I forget some of them. But I mean, one thing is that holders will get part of the fee. So, I mean, whenever there is a swap in one of our liquidity pools then the liquidity provider gets a fee and Genius Yield will get a part of his fee or her fee. Um, so there, I mean, and also we have like trading bots that maybe also earn some fees. Um, so there are lots of fees, hopefully, and um, then holders of gens tokens will will be entitled to a, a certain percentage of the of those fees. So that's one aspect. Um, and then there are other things like you mentioned the academy before. And I mean, we do intend to make uh, to to have like a great free um, offer of material, but we are also considering having some premium content like special perks. I don't know, like invited talks by some interesting people or whatever so so another use of this genius token would be that like to to get access to premium material on the academy and also as far as the, the yield optimizer is concerned i mean there you mentioned risk so there will be different strategies like different risk and um i mean it can be very simple strategies it can be more sophisticated strategies so another idea is also that holders of gens tokens get access to like more sophisticated um, trading strategies maybe so things like that so and um, eventually we also want to have governance i mean if, if certain protocol parameters or so uh, if they are supposed uh, sure, that they can only be changed basically by in a decentralized manner after some voting process so so this gens token will also give you voting power to um, for for protocol governance to change certain parameters for example awesome that's very exciting i appreciate you explaining all those benefits to me what is the timeline for launch you know specifically we need that dex to start collecting data you know uh what, right. what's the timeline for that i think we are in the roadmap we said beginning of q2 so of course it's always very difficult to predict anything crypto how long it will take for sure but i was very very pleased um i mean last week we did our first swap on on the test net so i mean so there is progress so um and i also i mean one one like notorious topic on cardano is is uh, this pab the Pluto's application backend that's basically supposed to make off-chain code easy and interaction with with wallets easy but unfortunately that's not ready yet even though the Pluto's team is working very hard on getting that ready uh, so, so one tricky part or one milestone for us was also to to get this wallet integration. I mean, the experience you want is that you don't have to install any software as a user. You just, in your browser, go to our site and then you click a button and then some wallet pops up and asks you to sign a transaction, same as the like MetaMask on Ethereum, and you can do that and and that's it. And I mean that we also can do now. So, so that was one of the first hurdles to to get this uh, external lightweight wallet browser integration but so that is done and as i said so we did our swap so we have first versions of our smart contracts um, that are relevant so representing orders and these liquidity pools and various operations that they can do swaps and opening a pool closing a pool whatever 
and and we can in principle do all of them now on the cardano testnet so now of course i mean must be thoroughly tested and must be audited and it must be tested at scale and so on so there's still lots to do but i mean we are we're getting there and hope that we can hold this q2 um eight that we had in mind Awesome. You know, there was a, a currency issue on Cardano, you know, that was brought up a couple of months ago. And, uh, you know, DEXs all had a lot of different ideas on how to solve this problem. You know, for example, Sunday Swap, uh, you know, decided to go with scoopers using trusted acted actors in the system to run a scooper software, you know, that takes up a couple swaps and, mm-hmm. and submits them all in one transaction. How, how will Genius Yield solve that problem? Yeah, probably also similar um, to the, uh, I mean, we call it order book approach, but I think that's similar to the scooper um, approach. So it's basically a um, inversion of control. So so in on Uniswap and Ethereum, um, the people that want to make the swaps are in control. They just directly call the, the liquidity pools and, and do the swap. And because of this uh, concurrence, because concurrency, Concurrency just works differently on Cardano. That would be inefficient to do it like that and hence this inversion of control. So instead of directly interacting with the pool, basically people that want to swap create a, a UTXO, an output that they basically lock the money they want to swap and announce what they want for it. And then something, whatever you call it, Scooper or so, picks up these orders and, and then can bulk process them in, in one transaction using a liquidity pool instead of all the people that want to swap having to do it themselves, which would then mean that there could only be one swap per block. So that's this scooper idea or order book idea. And um, yeah, we must see, I mean, um, I know Sunny Swap has, I mean, only allows, I mean, some of the, not everybody can be a scooper that they are like uh, vetted by, by, um, by Sunny Swap. And we actually, would like to go in a slightly different direction that in principle everybody can write these bots as we feel then there would be like like the competition between the bot authors would um, <clears throat> obviously be good for the users because then they try to be as efficient as possible and it would probably uh, bring the fees down of these bots but of course it also comes with some challenges so you don't want like malicious bots that that clock the system so maybe we will initially also go with an approach similar to Sunday Swap, where, where it's only our own scoopers or whatever uh, that do that. But eventually the idea is to, to make it more cent- decentralized so that uh, people can also provide their own bots to, to try to match orders. Yeah. <clears throat> so among those bots, you know, um, how, or not, I wouldn't say bots, but, you know, just to compare it to Sunday Swap, the scoopers, you know, with Cardano, stake pool operators, the thing that is value deterministic in the ecosystem is ADA. If someone delegates more ADA to your pool, you then process more transactions. So with Genius Yield, you know, if you don't go the Sunday Swap model of where all scoopers are equal, they all process the same, you know, how, how would you solve that, you know, value deterministic problem, um, you know, with allowing, you know, who processes more if anyone can all open one up what exactly is this problem so for example on cardano you know we're trying to figure out who processes what amount of transactions and Mm -hmm. you know how many they process relative to the rest of the nodes in the ecosystem Mm -hmm. you know with genius yield i think there will be a similar problem right if everyone can all open up a bot then you know who is going to process more and who is going to process less or is that going to be distributed among everybody equally 
I mean, the, I, the in principle it doesn't. I mean, I mean, of course, it's it's an interesting question, and we must think very carefully about that that we don't introduce any problems. But I mean, in principle, it wouldn't matter if if bots process the same trans. I mean, the same orders because I mean, the way Cardano works, I mean, only one of them will succeed. And from the for the point of view of the user, it wouldn't matter which bot processes my order as long as it gets processed. Um, so and hopefully, I mean, obviously, the bots if they all go for the same trans uh, same order, then most of them won't get it and won't make any fees on that. So it's in the interest of the bots themselves to like do some unusual things or, or I mean, not go for the most obvious order or something. So the hope would be that just basically simple greed would um, drive the bots to to somehow go for things that don't overlap too much, overlap too much with, with other competing bots out there. So the hope would be to somehow solve it by a game theory. I mean, similar to, to how the whole Cardano incentive system works. So if you get the incentives right, that then I mean, so so I wouldn't. I mean, you don't want to centrally regulate it. I mean, which bot can do what? So so one must come up with an incentive for the bots that basically drives them into the, the behavior that we want, which would be that it's I mean most efficient order processing. Yeah. And, um, but I mean, it is a, of course an interesting or not easy problem how to exactly get that right. So we must think carefully about that. I appreciate that explanation. Speaking of, you know, incentive, uh, you know, to, to finish off this podcast, I'm you're, I'm curious and also interested in educating the audience on, you know, what is the A not parameter in Cardano and also the K parameter in Cardano and how does that, you know, affect normal users and also stake pool operators? Ah, uh, okay. <laughs> um the let me just because that's um, a different topic now. Right. I'm sorry. Um, I'll give you a second. No, 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 no. It's fine. I mean, I was uh, like intimately involved, I mean, with this team that actually came up with the a not operator thing. I mean, the, the problem that we that it solves is civil attacks. So the issue is that um, if you didn't have that, so so if everybody could just open stake pools, and I mean, principle, I mean, the, the distinguishing factor, apart from soft things like, I mean, marketing and so on, is the cost and the margin. And the problem is that somebody could basically have a pool with very low cost and a very low margin, which would make it very attractive for, um, for delegators. And then this entity could open 100 or 1,000 of such pools to so basically flood the Cardano ecosystem with thousands of pools that are, look all very attractive to the users by having very low cost and and very low margin, so would offer high returns. And the problem with that is, so if if those civil pools would be successful, then um, basically the owner of those pools would be in control of of a huge part of of uh, Cardano transactions. And of course, I mean that's how blockchain works as consensus. Um, you always assume an honest, so-called honest majority. So as long as you have one party that is in control of more than 50%, that's very bad. I mean, then bad mm -hmm. things, very bad things can happen. Uh, right. We, we needed some way to to prevent people from doing that, from just creating hundreds or thousands of pools. That's where this a not idea came in. So a not basically says you, you have to, or you can or have to put some of your own funds into a pool. 
and the more you, you put in, the more rewards your delegators get. A naught basically just uh, determines how high this influence is. So if A naught was zero, it wouldn't matter how much money you put in. And the higher it is, it can go up to infinity. So there's no, it's not between zero and one. It could also be 57. Um, so the higher it is, the, the higher this effect is that the more money you put in, the more your delegators get. The idea is because of this, A naught, now you suddenly, I mean, you can still create a thousand pools, but obviously you only have a limited amount of money. So if I have whatever, 100,000 ADA and I create one pool, I can put all my 100,000 ADA into this one pool. And because of this A naught, then my delegators will get quite a high reward. If I now want to create 100 pools, and I can only put 1,000 ADA in each of these 100 pools, and then the effect of the A naught would be that each of these 100 pools would pay less rewards than the one pool with the 100,000 in. It would be less attractive. So the idea is that um, makes it impossible to, to have a lot of pools that are attractive. It was the idea of the not parameter. The intention, as I said, is to prevent these Sybil attacks. Yeah. <clears throat> and um, of course, it's, I mean, we were, nobody was ever very happy about that because, I mean, you don't really want a system where the rich get richer and so on. Yeah. But I mean, math mathematically, it was the only way we had back then to, to prevent these civil attacks. Of course, the hope is to eventually replace that with something like um, social scoring or I mean, that people can build reputation for honesty or something like that, that this is no longer necessary. Basically, in the I mean, at least back then, it was necessary to have some mechanism that prevents these civil attacks. So that's a nod. And K was the second one you asked that's uh, yeah. basically the desired number of pools um basically the 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 all of co i mean they're like two competing things the fewer pools you have the bigger the problem of centralization is so the fewer pools you have the more powerful each individual pool is like in bitcoin for example i think the five biggest pools control 50% of the network or maybe the seven biggest pools, but I mean, very few pools control a huge chunk of all of the whole Bitcoin network, which is actually a problem. I mean, so we didn't want that. So we wanted uh, a lot of, of uh, medium sized pools. Um, I mean, none getting too big, but on the other hand, you also don't want millions of pools because that's just not efficient. I mean, it, it makes, uh, I mean, because all those pool operators have to be paid and so on. So, so you want some sort of sweet spot. I mean, you want a certain number of medium-sized pools when none of them is too big. And the K is basically this number that we are like aiming for. So it's not hard-coded. I mean, there can be more pools. There are more pools. Yeah. Um, but it's just game theory that basically the, the incentives and the rewards like push softly push the system into the direction where you have roughly that order of magnitude number of pools that the K predicts. And I think it used to be 500 and we've I'm not sure. Is it a thousand now? I mean, at least it's plan was to currently still five hundred. Okay. Yeah. So we started with lower, and and I think eventually I'm not sure what the plan is now, but thought at some point we want to maybe go to a thousand. I'm not sure yeah. about that, but uh, yeah. So that's like the ballpark to have five hundred. And I mean, even though K is five hundred, there are more than five hundred pools. Yeah. So over three thousand um, now. Yes. I mean, still there is an effect. So if we now. Um, like put it to a thousand, then probably there would be 5,000 pools afterwards or so. So there is like a correlation. So it's roughly the target number of pools. So if everybody was perfectly rational and, and just uh, delegated their funds by to maximize rewards and so on, 
then basically we would end up with 500 um, equal sized pools. Obviously, in the real world, uh, it's more messy than that and other aspects. And I mean, whether I mean the mission of the pool and their marketing and so on. So they'll also yeah, and also tokens aspects. now, too, you know, because when tokens this game theory was created, we didn't have Cardano native assets, whereas now exactly. you, know, you can incentivize users with other tokens, too. Exactly. I mean, GNC, for example, um, does this ISPO now. Um, it's, it's very cute on your relatively new idea. Instead of doing a traditional initial coin offering or so, you, we do this initial stake pool offering where we have our own stake pools, but with a margin of 100% or 99, so the people don't get ADA rewards when they delegate, but instead they get our tokens as rewards. So yeah. That's like a novel way to, um, I think Meld uh, did that first. It's a novel way to, to get funds or get funding for your project on Cardano. Just, uh, I should have mentioned that earlier when you asked why Cardano, I mean, that's another nice thing that certain things, for example, are just not possible on other blockchains like this, uh, these ISPOs. And also, I should maybe also have mentioned that because every address on Cardano can have a staking component, so you can stake your ADA now from your wallet, but also these liquidity pools or the orders that are waiting to be processed, I mean, all of these can also stake. So while the money is sitting there, it can... Uh, also be delegated to to a stake pool so that's also another nice feature of cardano that other blockchains don't have yeah it's almost like it adds a base yield you know to participating mm -hmm. in any smart contract which is very mm -hmm. unique and i think a lot of people aren't focusing on that but it's really important you know moving forward mm -hmm. you know uh, i want to touch a little bit more on the the rich get richer topic with a not you know so from a user perspective on cardano a not is actually set at 0.3 and what that means is if you pledge the maximum amount of ADA to your stake pool, which off the top of my head, I want to say it's about 68 million right now. The way that you get that number is you take the total number of ADA in existence and you divide it by that K parameter. And that gives you the saturation number, which is the total amount of ADA that can be in a stake pool. So to earn 30% more rewards than anyone else in the entire community, what you have to do is you have to pledge 68 million ADA to your stake pool, and then you get to earn higher rewards. And, you know, a lot of people believe that there is a, you know, an issue in Cardano because, you know, the pledge parameter, you know, doesn't provide enough rewards in the lower tiers of ADA. So for example, 100,000 pledge versus a million pledge. And, you know, your first thought is, well, maybe we should raise a not. Well, what happens if you raise a not? is it actually increases the amount of rewards for those that, you know, the rich get richer, they pledge 68 million, they get more rewards, their percents go up, and then it takes away percents from the lower tiers, you know, to incentivize pledge, to incentivize people to pledge to their stake pools. You know, a lot of people in this community, you know, feel that changing a not will kind of hurt more people than it will help, and it'll also, you know, provide more value to the rich get richer scenario. You know, so moving forward, there still has to be something in the in the community that limits, you know, the total number of pools, you know, because right now there is no reason really to pledge, you know, a million ADA versus 100,000 or 10,000. However, if you have, you know, 32 million, it starts to then make sense or 20 million, you know, it starts to make sense. You know, so is, has there been, you know, any movement on, you know, K changes or A not changes you know, moving forward, you know, from this point out, maybe Q1 or, or later this year? He, I mean, I was, as I said, I'm also on this research team that um, thinks about these things. 
So I've spent a lot of time also last year to run hundreds of simulations with various changes. I mean, one idea is also, and you have this, I don't know what it's called, but basically the reward function. So depending on how much you pledge and how many people delegate to your pool, how, how many rewards are paid. And um, there was also suggestions coming from the community to, to change that, to, to somehow give it another ch shape. So for example, what you mentioned, it doesn't really make a big difference whether you pledge 100,000 ADA or 150,000, for example. I mean, so there were suggestions to somehow change the shape of this function to, to make this more pronounced, especially like for lower pledges, to make the effect of an additional pledged ADA uh, more pronounced than, than it is now. So we have, uh, as I said, run hundreds of simulations with that. And I mean, so far there, there hasn't been any of the suggestions that didn't have some fatal flaw, like uh, became unstable under certain conditions and so on. So, I mean, we are definitely thinking about it and have been thinking about it very hard. Um, but you really have to be careful with that because you, I mean, if you do something wrong, then you can destabilize the whole system. So yeah. that's, I mean, I know it's, it's quite frustrating for the community that it's, uh, it's not having faster, but I can promise that, I mean, we have been very diligent and very careful and I mean, have carefully like looked at all the proposals and thought about what one can do and tried lots of things, but I mean, uh, you need to be careful there because it's easy to make a mistake and then, uh, bad things happen and i mean that we obviously don't want so that's yeah, why, why it's not happening as fast as as people would hope for but uh, i mean we're permanently discussing that and thinking about how to to improve the situation okay yeah and that's what you know my, my issue really isn't with the speed i was just kind of curious you know if there have been any you know push forwards on that you know because the, the one that you were mentioning i think was sean mcmurdo's the curved pledge the curved pledge parameter which uh -huh. is very interesting you know the way uh -huh. it works now currently is it's linear you know at the uh -huh. very bottom you know it slowly increases at the same amount all the way to the top at the 68 million whereas uh -huh. you know what sean introduced was an s curve you know so essentially you incentivize people in the lower portions you know say a hundred to a million eight or hundred thousand eight to a million eight but then you disincentivize past that because you have a local max there and then it goes down, but still incentivizes the people to pledge the max amount. You know, yeah. so so you said that there was a, fl a fatal flaw with that, and you guys really aren't interested with that anymore. And you know, we're going to kind of stick with the the current model for 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 a good bit. Um, I mean, I know there was a flaw with it, so I ran the experiments, and and first it looked good, but there was some I forgot, unfortunately, but what exactly it was. But under certain conditions, um, whatever, if if forgot but i mean under certain conditions in the uh, like initial conditions in the simulation it didn't stabilize anymore so now i mean until now with the current model in at least in the simulations you you start with some configuration and then it always like stabilizes and you end up with roughly these k pools of equal size and there were certain initial conditions where it didn't so where suddenly you get big pools i mean bigger than and they should be much over saturation um I forgot the details because it's also been a year now, but I mean, there were some problems. So we did look at these proposals with the different shapes and so on. Um, another problem is also if you if you just increase A0, then a lot of the rewards wouldn't be paid actually. Because I mean, the way it works is that, I mean, only basically somebody that pledges the full 68 million would, would get all the rewards and people that pledge less get a bit less. And, and this bit that they get less, that's not, to anybody i mean that's basically kept in the reserve um so that means that the total amount of rewards would 
uh, paid out would decrease if we increased a not, um, which of course is also not desirable. Um, so we were also talk. I mean, thinking about other things like, for example, like and spending more of the. I mean, the the thing that's not paid out to distribute it somehow. And so we have thought in all sorts of directions to make that better. And um, it's still. I mean, it's still an ongoing discussion. And I'm not saying that uh, we won't like use a different shape. Maybe something in, along these lines of the S curve. I'm just saying that the original proposal, at least. Uh, there was a problem with it that uh, came out in the simulations. Okay. I mean, of course, it was a good idea. Well, I appreciate that. And yeah, I I had Sean on the podcast, I want to say over probably a year and a half ago, and he was really smart. I liked it. I liked it. It was a, it was an interesting proposal, but it's interesting to hear there's a flaw there. Um, you know, I, and I apologize for bringing this up. I'm just curious. The community has been very curious about this because without there really being, you know, a hard limit on the number of spake pools relative to the incentive, you know, I feel like a lot of the, you know, a lot of that is being targeted at other community members that are running multiple pools because there is no limit to the total number of pools. You know, it allows a lot of operators to garner more stake and, you know, essentially, you know, get as much stake as they can relative to their reach. And then this in turn, you know, causes other community members with smaller pools to not receive some of that stake. And then it causes this, you know, back and forth in the community uh, because of that. So that's why I was curious about it. But uh, really, that's the end of the podcast. I want to say thank you so much for coming on. And I also want to give you the opportunity to, um, you know, mention anything about Genius Yield or, you know, being the director of education or about protocol parameters uh, before we head out of here. Do we cover everything? I think we did. Can't think of any important thing we missed out. Oh, yeah. One thing, uh, concentrate liquidity, right? I think you mentioned that right in the beginning, but we never got to it. So, um, I mean, one thing, uh, because I think you introduced Genius Yield as the first concentrated liquidity DEX on Cardano. And uh, we didn't touch that. Yeah. Maybe yeah, just let's, let's touch on just that. just briefly, very briefly. I mean, I, in the beginning, I explained this uh, constant product formula that Uniswap version two is using. Uh, very simple. Where you just multiply how much assets are in the pool, and that you keep that constant, and that determines the price. And it's very beautiful and elegant, but it has like the side effect that somehow the your liquidity that people put in this pool is not really used as much as it could be. So the issue is that. I mean, because of its beauty and elegance, these Uniswap version 2 pools, they cover the whole price range, basically from zero to infinity. Every ratio between the two tokens in the pool is possible and is covered, and the liquidity take, I mean, covers that. But in real life, normally you don't have like this infinite volatility in exchange rates. Normally, the exchange rate between two assets stays in some range. And therefore, there is Uniswap version 3, where instead of having this full price range from zero to infinity, liquidity providers can concentrate their liquidity on a on a price range. That has the effect that the yield they get, the fees they get for a given amount of liquidity they're willing to put in, uh, can can increase dramatically. So they can get uh, whatever hundred or a thousand times more fees out of that by putting the same liquidity in, provided that the actual price stays in this range that they put it in. That is one thing we also want to do with Genius Yield. So, so in the, therefore, I mean, as I said, we, we want to be the first DEX on Cardano with concentrated liquidity. You can't just copy the Uniswap model. And uh, I mean, as you said, and I agree with you, that's a good thing that you can't just blindly copy. So 
because Cardano just works differently, but in the spirit. So uh, our pools will allow the liquidity providers to specify a price range or price point uh, and therefore have liquidity concentrated in that price point and that then means much higher yield as long as the actual price stays there. But it also means if the actual price moves away from there, you have to like replace, I mean, place your liquidity elsewhere at a different price range. And that's again where, the, where it's good that we have low transaction fees in Cardano. And that's also where these AI and the bots come in that automatically manage your portfolio so that they can automatically reallocate your, your liquidity at a different price range that is then following basically the actual price. So yeah, that's this uh, concentrated liquidity thing. Awesome. I really appreciate you bringing that up because I, I really didn't understand, you know, what that meant. So thank you so much. And uh, is that the last thing? Anything else? Yes. Okay. No, I, I was going to say that was a really good bit. I'll give you another chance, you know. <laughs> um, you. Again, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Um, if you guys enjoyed this podcast, if you've made it till the end, uh, please comment Genius Yield down below to let us know you made it till the end. It really does mean a lot uh, when you guys do that. Also, if you enjoyed it, the normal YouTube shield stuff, like the video, subscribe, notification bell, all. It really does push this Cardano content, Cardano education out to the wider cryptocurrencies community. So I really appreciate if you guys do hit those algo buttons. Uh, but again, thank you so much, Lars, for coming on. Uh, I've learned a lot and I really appreciate it. Thank you very much. It was very interesting. Thanks for having me. Yeah. You guys have a good rest of your week. Goodbye. Bye. Thank you.